Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to do part two. It's just a two-part thing. I didn't know how long it was going to take or what it was going to be, but as I studied it, I really enjoyed it. Broken into two parts, and tonight is a good study. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Paul says, let your conversation be without covetousness. You know what that means? Without complaining about what you don't have. Then be content with such things as ye do have. For he, who's the he? Who do you want to guess? Who's the he? It's not just God. It's Jesus Christ. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, <clears throat> we have a verse, we have a promise that says Jesus is with us says that I'll be with you to the end of the world. Uh, I will never leave you, forsake you. But are we aware of it? Are we aware of that? And that's the difference between real Christianity and stale Christianity or intellectual Christianity versus active Christianity, passionate Christianity. One knows a lot and does nothing. The other one may not know very much but is willing to risk their life for what they believe. And if you know that God is with you, man, you'll, 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 you'll close your eyes and head into battle, amen? So, becoming aware of the presence of God is the goal of these two messages. So, when we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about sensing His presence. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't know how to sense, am I with Him or am I away from Him? As a matter of fact, I, I really believe we do know how to sense his presence. But what we don't want to admit to is the fact that we've gotten away from him. And we've lost that closeness. And so we wonder, where is God? Where is God? When actually you left him. You pulled away and you're like saying, I can't sense him. That's, that's a good thing. Because that's a little indicator that you need to get back close to him. So uh, a lot of people don't have a way of sensing him or they've sort of gotten cold towards him. And I try to answer four questions here this series. Does he really promise to never leave us? Does he really mean it? Or isn't he up in heaven busy? Secondly, is there a reason why we don't feel him so much of our life? Uh, is there a way to become more aware of his presence? And what's it like when he is near? So, let me tell you, you if, if you say, if you struggle with, what's it like to feel the presence of God? You're, uh, and, 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 well, what is, why is it that God seems so far away sometimes? There are people in the Bible, loads of people, who experience the highs and the lows. David was one of them. We read it last week where David cries out, Lord, why art thou so far away from my roaring? He's screaming, where are you, God? And God's not answering him. David had trouble sensing God's presence at times. Job had a real hard time sensing, and he says, I looked on my left hand, where I know he's working, but I couldn't see him. On my right, but I couldn't find him. He says, I looked everywhere, but I know one thing, Job said. What was it? He knows the way that I take. I don't know what God's doing, but he knows what I am doing. So Job had trouble with, with saying, I know he's here somewhere. I just can't find him. Elijah Elijah's more like the modern Christian. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 
1 Kings chapter 19, and he neglects the presence of God. He misses it. He ignores it. 1 Kings chapter 19 in verse 9. 1 Kings 19, 9. Now, Elijah's running from who? Who is the only person that scared Elijah? Jezebel. Now, probably with all her makeup, she would have scared you too. But um, uh, he, she wasn't. She wasn't scary just by looks. She was scary to Elijah, and he runs for his life. He ends up at a cave. In verse nine, and he, Elijah, came in thither into a cave, and he lodged there. So he sets up his his mantle and his his cloak, and he sets up a bed there, and that becomes his little lodging place. And behold, watch this. The word of the Lord came to him, and he, the Lord, said unto him, What doest thou? Listen to the word. What's the next word? So where is God? No. God's not saying, What are you doing there, Elijah? Elijah. Sorry. Yeah, Elijah. What are you doing there, Elijah? He didn't say that. He said, What are you doing here? So where was God? He was there. Now, wouldn't you think Elijah go, Lord, are you here? Oh, boy, that's so encouraging. I kind of felt like you were gone. That's not what he says. Watch Elijah. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Throw down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. What's he doing? Griping, complaining comparing himself among other Christians and saying, I'm the only one still doing right, God. Verse 11, and he said, this is God, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Stand before me. Behold, the Lord passed by and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains, shook them and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard that still, small voice, he wraps his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him again and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats himself. What is Elijah doing? He's missing the presence of God. He's forgetting, he's neglecting the fact God's taking some time. It's like God saying, how you doing? What brought you here? You okay? And Elijah's like, oh man, I tell you what, man, you wouldn't believe what I have to put up with that woman back home. Oh, that problem that I've had to face. And he doesn't realize he's talking to the presence of God. Isn't that like us? God shows up and we're too busy complaining about the car won't start, the kids won't get dressed. The, the bills can't get paid, and God is there. And we forget. He's trying to say, hello. Are you, are you here too? I'm over here? All right, so um, let me talk to you also one more. Moses uh, uh, is a great illustration, Exodus chapter 33, that I want you to feel like here. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Verse 12, listen to Moses' desperate need. Chapter 33, Exodus 33, 12. 
Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. He feels all alone. He says, You haven't showed me who's going to help me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. You told me that you know my name and that, that I found grace in your sight. You say everything's right. Verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee. Don't show me the way. What is he saying? Show me your way. Show me where you are that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, as if to say continually, and consider that this nation is not my people, but whose people? They're thy people, God. And God said this, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. I'll take the burden off of you, Moses. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us up, not hence. What is he saying? He's saying, I can't go another step unless you really are with me. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like, God, I can't go tomorrow. I can't face tomorrow unless your presence is with me. Good, 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 good. That's where you ought to be. You should not go days, weeks, months without the presence of God, without an awareness of the presence of God. Are you with me? All right. So, by way of review, last week I told you we have the promise of Christ's presence. He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So, we have his promise. Amen. Nod your head. You believe that. Amen. You read it. You know it's to be true. That's his promise. Secondly, there are problems with that presence. What are some of the problems with the presence of God? We can take it for granted. We can reject it. We can go like Peter. When Peter's up on the boat and Jesus shows up and says, cast it out on the other side. And, and uh, um, uh, uh, Peter finally obeys. And when, when he catches all of those fish, he approaches the Lord and he says, depart from me, Lord, I am, uh, what does he say? I'm a sinful man or something like that. I haven't believed you. I, I'm, I'm so far, I'm uh, uh, out of line with you. And, and we can reject his presence because we feel like he, he and I, don't, we don't belong together, Lord. How can you put up with me? You ever felt that? So the presence of God sometimes is so opposite of us that we're like, oh, I, I, I can't go to church. Here we go. I can't go to church. I feel, I just feel so wrong. That's when you ought to be in church. Oh, I just can't read my Bible. That's when you're supposed to read your Bible. I just can't pray. Listen, that's when you need the presence of God. But in the heart, a deceptive thing that says, oh, no, no, no. I, God wouldn't even hear me. You are so wrong. All right? So we, there are problems with his presence. Not everybody liked being around Jesus because Jesus was so different than what we are like. Third, we talked about the person of that presence. The person of that presence is not a power. It's not an ooey-gooey feeling. It's not... That's not the presence. The presence of Jesus is Jesus. Everything that you find in that Bible, that's what you need to be able to sense. Did Jesus Christ love the unlovable? Then he'll love you. And I mean, did he not? Can you imagine... I was just reading this afternoon about, uh, I've been reading about it for a couple of weeks now, but uh, when Jesus came and spoke to Mary and Martha about Lazarus, can you imagine? They were so upset at Jesus. And it's, now Jesus loved Mary and Mar- Martha and Lazarus. You know, goodness, 
that the, the presence of Jesus Christ in my life, that's what I want. I don't want to make it up. I don't want to prefigure what his presence is like. I just want him. Amen? All right, so that was our thing last week. Let's start off this, let's start off tonight with the place of his presence. Where is the Lord then? Where do you find the guy? Let's, let's uh, take a look here at how the Bible teaches us. All right? After the resurrection, let's see what I'm going to say here. Aha. Um, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus took 40 days to finally fully leave. He shows up and then he disappears. Then he'd be, he'd be around another week. Uh, the next week he'd be around for a little while and so he'd disappear. Why did he, why did he just take so long and, and sort of start and sputter before he finally left? To show, when he would show up, he was trying to show, that's where I will be always in your life. So, um, we need to look for God in, or look for Jesus in the following areas of our life. And most of them are most unpleasant. Are you ready? First of all, in our disasters. Go to John chapter 20. <clears throat> John chapter 20. Jesus has already died, been buried, resurrected. But in John chapter 20, verse 11, he teaches that in our disasters, he's there. John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher. Remember, he has resurrected, but they, they don't know it. Mary stood without. This is Mary Magdalene. She stood without, outside of the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher. And see two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they, whoever they are, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and she saw Jesus standing, and knew not that he was present with her. Jesus saying unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She's asked that twice now. Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, <laughs> saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, if you carried him somewhere, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. What she want to do? She wants to hug him. And he says, Don't touch me yet, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I am alive. I ascend to my father and to your father, and to my God and your God. Where was Jesus showing up the first time that you see him? In the midst of such sorrow and disaster. What did the death of Jesus Christ mean to Mary Magdalene, to Peter, to James, to all of the apostles? What did it mean to them? Hmm? The end. Defeat. Everything that they had hoped for, everything that they believed, gone. So where does Jesus show up? In the midst of all of that heartache. Now, yes, it's in the resurrection, but I want you to just think about it for a second. These, the disciples don't have that joy yet. They don't have the belief that he's alive. And yet there's Jesus saying, I am here. I am here. Um, he's there when you feel all is lost. Secondly, in our failures, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Remember Peter, after denying Three times that he even knew Jesus Christ, cursed his name, 
1 Corinthians 15 and verse 4. Let's look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, this is Paul talking about the gospel, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and was seen of who? And then of the twelve. Who's Cephas? What's his other name? Peter. This guy's got three names. What are his three names? Simon, Peter, and Cephas. I mean, how many names? I mean, maybe he's running from the tax man. I don't know. But he's got all these different names. But what was Peter? Peter was a failure. And who was the first thing on Jesus' mind? When he says, make sure you tell Peter I'm alive. So where does the Lord show up? How does he come knocking when we have when we have failed? He doesn't go, oh, that's it. Dean, you blew it. I'm out of here. Bye. I'm staying as far away from you. He doesn't do that. He's still in our disaster. He's in our disasters. He's in our failures. Hey, Luke chapter 24. He's in our confusion. Anybody relate to any of these yet? <laughs> he's in our confusion. Look at Luke 24. This is a bit of reading. Luke 24. In verse 13. I'm just going to skim through this. Luke 24, 13. Behold, two of them, two of the disciples, not the twelve, but of other extra ones, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. They talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together, again, this is the resurrection, this is the day of the resurrection, they're walking along, and they, and, and they talked and they reasoned among themselves. Jesus himself drew how? What's the next word? His presence. He's there. And he went with them. And their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And that was for a reason, so that they would learn something. Verse 17. And he saith unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are sad? How come you guys are so sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and has not known the things which are come to pass here in these days? And he saith unto them, What things? That's got to be the greatest question in the New Testament. Well, so what are you talking about? Tell me all about it. And they said unto him, well, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was, what a bad word, was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women, untrustworthy women, also of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they also had seen the vision of angels which, they, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went into the sepulcher and found it even as the woman, women had said, but they saw him not. Then, said, then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, back in Genesis, and through all the prophets, he expounded, he taught unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I mean, they're walking eight miles, and as they're walking along, Jesus is teaching them scripture. 
They drew nigh into the village whither they, they, uh, whither they went, and he made as though as he would have just kept going, going on further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. I wish you would underline those three words. What is it they wanted? They didn't know it was Jesus at this point, right? They didn't know it was him. They wanted whoever he was to stay with them. That ought to be your prayer request. Dear God, you promised you'd stay with me. Please do. They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, for the day is far spent. And he, and he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. <laughs> what is it? Look, look, look at me for a second. Think about it. They had walked eight miles. Now, at first, I bet they're walking along at normal speed. But as they walked and they talked with this person, I bet they slowed down. And I bet every foot pace, every step was full of joy and full of, really? And they didn't want it to stop, right? And then he's gone. Now, what's the point? Jesus is trying to say, I will always walk with you if you want me to. If you want me to be with you. That, see, when Jesus showed up in all these situations, he's not showing up in the best of times. He's showing up when they were so confused. When they're struggling with, is he alive? Did, I thought he died. How, how can he be alive? The women saw, saw that his empty tomb. Peter saw that his empty tomb. I haven't seen it, but it's, it's so confusing. And the Lord says, hello, where is he? He's right in the midst of your confusion. That's a good thing, amen? That's a good thing. Now, in the fourth one, he's there in your prayer times. Go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is nigh. What's another word for nigh? Near. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. I like that. I like that. He's near to you when you're asking for him to be near. When you're praying, when you're calling out to him. He's not nigh unto us. He's also near us in our church meetings. Go to John chapter 20. Guess who's here? Huh? Guess who's here tonight? See, you know it. My challenge is to get you to believe it. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19. John 20 and verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, what day is today? The first day of the week. It's Sunday. Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came who? In comes Jesus and stood in the midst and he said unto them, Peace be unto you. I wish, I wish, I wish you would get this. You got trouble at home? Get to church house and the Lord will speak peace unto you. See, look at that picture. They're gathered together. They're a ragtag, trembling Band of failures, and the Lord shows up and he says, it's okay. Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, and then were the disciples, what? Glad when they saw the Lord. 
Look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He stayed home and watched EastEnders, Coronation Street. I don't know what's on Sunday night. I hope I never find out what's on Sunday night. I hate missing church. But anyway, Thomas is not there when they had church. Jump down to verse 26. And after eight days, a whole week later, again his disciples were within, and Thomas, this time he's with them. Then came who? He seems to come when church was on. Then came Jesus, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst thereof, and said unto them what? Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, and he had a revival, and he said, My Lord and my God. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Matthew 18 and verse 20. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there is my mother in the midst of you. No, that's not what it says, is it? There am I in the midst of them. So, hey, you know where the Lord is? Say, I can't find God. Come to church. Amen. Now, this is going somewhere when we get to here. Uh, busyness. John chapter 21. Watch this. I read this earlier this week. You know, the devil finds and calls lazy people into his business. He finds the idols. He finds people who are doing nothing, and he makes them serve him. God calls those who are busy in the kingdom, and he uses them. Look at John chapter 21, verse 5. John 21 and verse 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, now this is, this is Peter, he's gone fishing, and Jesus shows up on the side of the shore, and Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? Have you caught any fish? And they answered him, No. Probably some, one of the saddest words, No. And he said unto them, Well, cast the net on the other side. On the right side of the ship, sorry. And ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's net about him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but were, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus speaks to them right in their presence, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And I want you to get the picture. Where was Jesus? He was right there while they were busy. They were out there working, and, and they didn't even know he was there. You know, when you're at work tomorrow, when you're at school tomorrow, guess where the Lord is? He's right there with you. And you know what he'll ask you at the end of the day? Did you catch anything? Anything go right? Tell him about it. See, he's there. He was watching. When they got to the shore, what was already cooking? So he started the fire long before... He started to cook in the fish long before they ever caught their fish, long before they ever brought to the shore. He already was out there watching them toil all that night. So here's the point. In your busyness, when you're at work and you're just too busy to think about God, he's thinking about you. 
and he is there, even in your busyness. Another place. How about in your troubles and your sufferings? Go to Psalm 46. Well, you can go to Hebrews. You're closest. Look at Hebrews 13 and verse 6 first. Hebrews 13 in verse 6. <clears throat> we read the verse that says, he has said, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, verse 6, so that we may boldly, courageously say, the Lord is my helper. Hey, when you're in trouble, you can say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, in your times of troubles and sufferings, you can remember, I'm not alone. Psalm 46 now. Psalm 46 in verse 1. Psalm 46 in verse 1 says this. Wow, this is a good one. I heard a message. I heard a message by Jack Hiles on this verse years ago. Absolutely life-changing. Look at it. God is our refuge and strength. It ought to just stop there. Is that a truth or not? That's the truth. God is our refuge. He's our hiding place. He's our strength. But he's more than that. Look at it. He is a very present help in trouble. He's not just up in heaven going, oh, you need some help. Here, Michael, go take some, 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 some help to him. He is present in your struggle. He is your help in the struggle, in your trial. He is a very, I like that word, very. He's really near when you're in trouble and when you're suffering. The place of his presence. You find me a place he's not. You find me one. How about in your praises? Psalm 22 and verse 3. Psalm 22 and verse 3. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says this. David cries out, But thou art holy, O Lord, that inhabitest you live in the praises of Israel. You dwell in the praises of Israel. When was the last time you just sat and you just thanked God? You praised God. You just sat there and you just... <laughs> I start laughing. <laughs> and just... Whew, you look around, see if he's watching, and then you just start raising your hands. <laughs> and praise God. You know what happens? The Lord snuggles up next to you and says, I was waiting for you to call. I've been over here waiting for you to want me to be a part of your praise. You want me to be a part of your complaining, and I'm not there. But how about when you praise God? Just praise God, because that's where he is. One more in our conversion. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I hope something's encouraging tonight. Acts chapter 9 and verse 4. This is Saul of Tarsus getting saved in verse 4. Look in verse 3. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Verse 4. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you fighting me? And he said to me, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Get the picture. Let me see. Dean, come up here. Put your Bible down. All right. I'm not sure how to do this without hurting him. No, I won't do it. <laughs> come back here. Get the idea. This is Saul. 
I'll be Jesus for the moment. And he asks, he says, it's hard. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Now, what's the prick? Well, he's kicking against a prod, a long stick with a point, and the Lord's poking him. And the Lord's poking him, and he's kicking back at it. Now, is the Lord poking him from heaven? Or isn't the Lord right there? Now, he's unaware that the Lord's doing this. He thinks he's fighting Christians, and he's trying to stamp out the name of Jesus. But he's fighting the presence of Jesus in his life, trying to get him saved. So as Jesus comes along and says, how are you doing? It's not right what you're doing. Those Christians are, are better people than you. Those Christians are, 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 are more, are, are more uh, spiritual than you. And they're, they're, um, uh, they really love God. And, and, they're, and as the Lord pokes at him, what is Paul doing? What is Saul doing? He's kicking him like a ninja. He's like, kick away. Yeah, I don't do that because <laughs> you'll hurt me. But where, is it, where does that demonstrate where Jesus is? Right there with Saul. When you got saved, guess who was knocking on the door of your heart? Hmm? The Lord was. Isn't that awesome? When you got saved, it was the first experience of the presence of Jesus Christ. Never forget that time and say, God, ever let me sense that same presence forever. Amen? Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So, in our conversion. All right. Now, what's the power? What happens when you experience that kind of presence. Well, the first thing that happens is you get scared. Go to Exodus chapter 19. If you ever get this all overwhelming sense of the presence of God, it will scare you. Exodus chapter 19, and for good reason. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10. I'm waiting. First Exodus chapter 19, and then Exodus chapter 20. Instead of putting up all the verses up there, I just put the two chapters. Exodus chapter 19, and then pick up verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Zion. Who was coming to dinner? The Lord was. He says, I'm coming down. Uh, go to verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp did what? So when the Lord showed up, what did it do to everybody? How'd they feel? Oh, good, let's go talk to Jesus. They trembled. Moses brought forth the people out of their camp to meet with who? And they stood at the nether part, of the back part of the mount, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. It was on fire because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Chapter 20 now, verse 19. Chapter 20. Verse 19. God's been speaking and he has, he has audibly spoken and declared the Ten Commandments. Moses is up on the top with them. 
The voice is so loud, everybody's hearing him at the bottom. In verse 19, And they said unto Moses, You speak, speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we what? It scared them to death. They said, Stop God from talking. We can't take it. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be with your be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shall ye say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. So God, on purpose, comes down, and he is awesome. He is terrifying. Why? Because that's how he really is. We think, well, God's just like my best friend. Well, he should be, but that's not how he is. He is God, and it ought to terrify us. When we experience the presence of God, it ought to shake us. It shouldn't make us feel comfortable. It ought to make us feel a bit afraid. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. So when somebody says, it just means reverence, they're lying. You do need to reverence God, but you need to be afraid of God. What does that mean? Don't fight him. He'll win. And when you step away, he knows how to bring you back, and it won't be pleasant. It is scary. When you sit in the presence of God, the first thing, that's not the only thing, but the first thing you need to get is, this is scary. Now, don't run. Stay there. Stay in the presence of God because it develops from there. It will humble you. Oh, I don't have that down. Forgive me. In... um, uh, in John chapter 20, we already read it, when, um, uh, um, well, let me go ahead and take you there. Go to John chapter 20, verse 25, because I don't know if I actually said this or not. John twenty twenty five. Yeah. I, I didn't point this out. This is when uh, Thomas comes and sees Jesus, but watch what the presence of Jesus did to Thomas. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So you see him, verse 27, uh, he, he sees Jesus, and Jesus says unto him, Reach into thy finger into my hands, and puts his own words back onto his own lap. In verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, What? My Lord and my God. The presence of Jesus humbled him, didn't it? You see, if you come to church, and you're, you come in, and you leave the same way you came in, you didn't meet with Jesus Christ. You may have met with Dan. You may have met with Pastor. You may have met with with Dean. You may have met with Eric, but you didn't meet with Jesus Christ. You meet with Jesus Christ. You go out humble. Amen. Because the presence of Jesus Christ humbles people. Third, it cleans us up. What's the power of that presence? The presence of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Ladies, I hope you're warm because I am sweating. Isaiah, comfortable. I knew you were going to say that. Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. I'm, I'm rushing through this. I hope that this, I hope you grab something along the way. 
Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 1, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. Notice the process. He's scared. Woe is me. He's humbled. I am because I'm I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar up in heaven, and he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is what? Just by He didn't even ask to be purged. He didn't even know that was going to happen. But did you know, by being in the presence of God, you get cleaned up? Just by being in his presence. Jesus actually shocked his disciples when he said, Now are ye clean through the word that I spoken unto you. All the time Jesus spoke to his disciples, he was cleaning them up, wasn't he? That's, that's, when you come to church, you say, I just got a bunch of Bible verses today from preaching. You got a lot of cleaning then. Amen? The presence of the Lord cleans us. Psalm 19 and verse 7. Psalm 19 and verse 7. To nine. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Keep going, chapter 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. But look at that. The fear of the Lord is what? And it cleans. You see, when, when, when you're in his presence, and as scary as it may be, it just cleans you up. It makes you not want to sin anymore. That is a good thing. One more thing. Actually, two more things. Your heart will burn with the right passions. Just by being in the presence of Jesus, it changes your heart. You know, when you got saved, you didn't just believe a fact. That's a fallacy of head belief. You can go to hell knowing every verse of the Bible, memorizing it. You can go to hell and not be born again by knowing the Bible. You know what saves you? Believe in it. In your heart. Believe in it in such a way that it, that it actually changes you. If, anybody, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. You don't believe a new truth. You become a new creature. That's the effect of it. Now, Luke 24, just by spending time with Jesus in your presence... As I talk in just a little bit, a little bit more, it will give you a new heart, new passions, new loves. Luke 24, 32. Finishing up that story where the two men on the road to Emmaus are talking with Jesus. Look how they talk after Jesus disappears. Luke 24, 32. And they said one to another. Verse 31, it says, he vanished out of their sight. Verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn? 
within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. Now that heartburn is a good heartburn. It's not, it's not anchovies on the pizza. All right? And it's not burning for sin. It is a burning that says, a passion that says, wow! Didn't it activate our heart? Wasn't our heart alive? It was on fire for God when he talked with us away. The presence of Jesus Christ will put your heart in such a way that, that people will go, where have you been? I've been with Jesus. Isn't that what they said? Isn't that what the Sanhedrin said to Peter, James, and John? When they were walking through town with death threats and with notices saying wanted, dead, or alive, and they just kept preaching, and they called them forth, and they said, did not we straightly command you not to preach in that name? And it says this, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great tomorrow morning if you go to work and you don't have to say a word. They go, watch out for, watch out for Martin. He, he was with Jesus yesterday. You can just tell. Amen. Amen. Lastly, your whole outlook will be different. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. In verse 5. <clears throat> wow, I don't know how I'm going to finish this. I'm just going to have to give you the end here. And you'll have to look up the verses yourself. Luke, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves. You take an inventory of yourself. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is, is where? Is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, a reprobate is a faker, a fraud, an actor. He's not the real deal. But if you're truly born again, then Jesus Christ is in you. And you'll be different. You know what your life will be like if you spend time with Jesus Christ? Your strength will be renewed day after day. Even though the outward man perishes, your inward man is renewed day by day. That comes by the presence of Jesus Christ. Not because of willpower, not because of, of, of great study and great learning. It's just Jesus has that effect on you. Amen? You'll have a joy that would be impossible to have if it weren't for Jesus saying, my joy I give unto you. You'll be full of hope because he is your expectation. If you spend time with Jesus Christ and the ship is sinking, you know what he says? Hold on. We're going to become a submarine. <laughs> You're going to, there's no fear when he's near. Amen? You'll have nothing but hope. You'll say, when everything's falling apart, it's just going to get good. You'll believe God when, when it seems that there's no sense to, to believe it. Because he cannot fail. And you'll be satisfied. Because he's all you need. You know, honestly, uh, how much more do you need than the name Jesus Christ? How much more do you need than him? I know you have needs. And, amen, bring your needs to the Lord. Those are things, Adam needed a wife, amen. But he needed God. And if God never gave Adam a, life, a, a wife, he still should have been able to be able to say, the Lord is my helper. He's all I need. Your whole outlook will be different. You won't be going out of here, getting into the car, going, I hate life. No. He is your life. All right. How do we become more aware of his presence? You're going to have to look these up on your own. See if you know any of them. 
right? You've got to start with living in obedience to God's word. John 14, 21 says, if a man will keep my law, he'll know that my Father and I have made my abode with them. You'll know I'm there. When you're living by the Bible, when you're out of the will of God, doing your own thing, guess what? You've gotten away from God. So you decide, right, I want to be aware of his presence. All right, then I'll use, come up here again. All right, I'm Jesus still, okay? <laughs> but this time he's, now, I'm going this way. All right, now, you want to be close to me? All right, stay with me. You're not doing very well. Boy, you're doing, okay, good. Now, you want to be, you want to be far from me? Uh, you go that way and I'm going to go this way. Okay. Uh, now I want you to go this way. Okay, good. He's back with me now. Amen? The point is, if you live in obedience, when God tells you to do something, you do it. When you don't do it, and he keeps going his own way, and you start going your own way, you'll wonder, where'd God go? Where did God go? The same way he's always been going. He doesn't change. Thank you. You can sit down. Live in obedience to God's word. Praise God a lot. You say, I want to sense the presence of God. Start being thankful. One preacher I know believes the whole Christian life is wrapped in three things. Number one, read your Bible, bring before God every need, and praise God every day. Those are three acts of the Christian life that will get you through everything. Now, I think there's more, but you know what? He's been through a whole lot more than I have, and I kind of give him credit. He knows where he's coming from. You better learn to just praise God anyway. You want to be aware of his presence? Praise God a lot. He inhabits the praises of his people. If you do nothing but complaining, he is not there. Third, or seventh, humble yourself. Where's the verse that tells us to humble ourselves? Quote it. That's okay. But there's, this, it's, it's, there's one that's before that. Probably wrote, wrote, but it says, God resisteth the proud. It gives grace unto the humble. All right. You want God to hang around with you? Humble yourself. Amen. You want God to stay as far away from you? Be as proud as a peacock. Number six, gather together. Say, I just don't see the presence of God. Get to church. Get to where your mind and your life is more in line with the Bible and with preaching and with praying and soul winning. Get with God's people at God's house and all of a sudden you'll start sensing the presence of God. It's not an airy-fairy. Oh, I'm waiting for this electricity. Go plug yourself in. I don't know what you want to do. But if you want the presence of God, you come to church, and all of a sudden you'll go out here going, and God met with us. I could hear him speaking. Uh, how about be quiet? i got to show you this. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4.11. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And that ye study to be, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. You want to sense the presence of God? Paul commands the Thessalonian Christians to learn how to be quiet. That means it's not easy. You've got to learn how to be quiet. Look at him. He says, study. Are you with me? And that ye study to be quiet and to just do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. What's he saying? Figure out how to turn off the TV, the radio, the YouTube, the phones. 
Get rid of this schedule. Take time every day to train your thoughts and all of your worship on just one person, Jesus Christ. Study how to just quietly sit in his presence. Isn't that what Mary did when Martha was busy making dinner? What did Mary do? She sat down there and she closed her mouth. Amen. And that was a big deal. And sometimes you need to just shut down and just close your mouth and not complain, not pray, not say a word, and just sense and say, God, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's that's Bible. Learn to be quiet. Number four, seek him, not just his blessings. Who can quote Jeremiah 29, 13? John should be able to. You know what that verse is. And ye shall... All right, what is the main thing that we're supposed to look for according to that verse? Amen. What are we normally seeking? His help. His power. God says, you'll find me if you'll go looking for me. So, spend time looking for him. I got to go. Number three, listen to him speak from his own word. Pick up the Bible. And when you read it, read it out loud. I think we do ourselves an injustice when we're sort of just reading along and we're not listening. So if you have trouble hearing the Lord Jesus speak or God speak, close the door and read it out loud. And there's just something about his words coming out of your mouth into your ear and it's like he's there talking to you. And listen, listen to him. As he speaks his own words. He gave you that book for you to hear. He that hath ears to hear. What does the Bible say? Faith cometh by. All right. Not reading. (laughs) You know. You say I can't read. You can listen to somebody read. You can listen to it on a cassette. Faith. If you just hear it. A lot of people read the Bible and put it down. Never pick it up again. If you hear it. You'll never put it down. It's a difference there. Number two, walk with God in prayer. Walk with God. You know, when you're praying, that is your signal to God that you're seeking Him. Because He's in the place of prayer. To sense God, who is a spirit, you must be in spirit yourself. What are we supposed to do? Walk in the spirit. Amen. Pray in the spirit. And when you do that, God, who is a spirit, shows up. Spend much time in prayer. You know what Revelation 1.10 says, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me. And that's when he saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. But he was in a spiritual mode, and it was the Lord's day, but he was praying. Lastly, believe Jesus' promise. You can try and do all of that, but if you don't believe that he is with you, you're wasting your time. Start to go, and you know what? The Lord's with me. When you walk out of this door and you go in your car, you need to realize there's somebody sitting in the passenger seat of that car with you. When you get up in the morning and you're eating your cornflakes by yourself and you look across and go, I'm not alone. Amen. When you're at the job and everybody else is filthy mouth and everybody else is doing their own thing and everybody else is ignoring God, blaspheming God, you need to remember the Lord is with you. Amen. Because all of that, are you ready? Describes the normal Christian life. 
That's why Jesus says, read your Bible, search the scriptures. That's why he calls us to prayer. That's why he asks us to seek him. That's why he commands us to gather together. Because when that is normal, guess what? He's here. And he's in your life. Father, I thank you for the challenge tonight to move up to the normal Christian life. Out of the the mediocre, out of the desert wasteland of of an empty life, a vain life like Solomon that lost that sweetness and that presence of God. There are too many Christians today who go for months, if not years, without the presence of God in their life. And I pray like Moses, we would beg you and say, don't let me go another step if your presence does not go with me. I want to know you're with me. I want to sense it and I want to lean upon you. Just like John leaned upon you. John the disciple. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your presence. May we never, ever, ever want to leave. In Jesus' name, amen.